Welcome back to the podcast brought to you by the Texas Association of Specialty Courts, which is also known as TASC, T-A-S-C. TASC is a statewide nonprofit that builds and strengthens Texas Specialty Courts through collaboration, advocacy, and education. For many years, TASC has been hosting an annual training conference that brings many professionals together to network and learn from one another. Now, TASC is bringing you a podcast solely dedicated to the things that matter to criminal justice professionals from all over the state, and where we will discuss all things related to Texas Specialty Court programs. I am your host, Liz Wiggins. I am the current communications director on the task board. I am also an attorney. In the past, I worked closely with specialty court programs as a former prosecutor and criminal defense attorney, and as a program manager providing technical assistance to court teams across the state. During this podcast, you will join us on the journey of exploring Texas Specialty Court programs in action. You'll have the opportunity to listen to conversations with professionals about the challenges and the motivations of being a part of a specialty court team. We will focus on real people doing real work and making a real impact. Join our conversations by sending me questions to ask future guests or to provide feedback about past episodes to thepodtask at gmail.com. Be sure to stay tuned until the end of each episode as I usually wrap up with news about what to expect next and some food for thought until we meet again. As always, please help us by liking and subscribing to the show and sharing our show with people you know. Before we start today's episode, I need to give you a heads up that there were some technical difficulties that came up during the first half. Before the interview, I had a storm in my area that impacted my internet connection. Of course, I thought the issue was resolved, but I was wrong. Even with these technical issues, this is a great episode that I do not want you to miss a moment of. Today, we will talk about the importance of including the right nonprofit on the team, where we have a conversation with Devin Anderson. She is the CEO and president of Justice Forward, which is a nonprofit in Houston, Texas, that supports local specialty court programs in unique ways. Her journey in life and her passion for helping others is nothing short of inspirational. In fact, I enjoyed speaking with her so much that this episode went longer than I planned. So without further delay, let's get on to the show. Today, I'm joined by Devin Anderson with Justice Forward. Devin, it's so nice to have you with us today. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Can you tell the audience uh, briefly, uh, real quick, about who you are? what you do and what website they can go to to get more information. I am the president and CEO of Justice For, which is a nonprofit in Houston that helps people who are either in or have graduated from specialty courts in Harris, Galveston, and Fort Bend County. Um, and our website is justiceforwardtx.org. So I have to say, I am very excited you're here with us today. I have actually had the pleasure to see you present multiple places, and I learned about Justice Forward just a couple years ago, actually, um, and I thought it was an amazing organization, and I cannot wait till everybody gets to hear more about the work that you do um, and and why you do it. But first, before we get too far into that, um, I'd like to hear a little bit more about your past experience and what led you into this role. So. Can you share a little bit about your career experiences and your personal life and like what what helped you prepare for the role that you have now? Sure. Um, I uh, let's see. I'm trying to think of how far <laughs> back. Ago. I got I came to Houston, I think, like everybody, uh, most people do uh, for work. 
I um, wanted to be a prosecutor and I got hired by the DA's office here to do that. I did that for 13 years and loved it. Uh, tried a lot of cases and helped a lot of people, I felt like, but um, I started burning out really badly. And so my, um, my husband, who I met at the office, um, was a judge and there was a judge who was retiring. And so I decided to run for a criminal district court, a felony court. And I won and started presiding over that. And it was right about that time when drug courts started in Harris County. And it was Judge Caprice Cosper who got them really under uh, underway there with the help of Mary Covington, who was her coordinator. And I, I used to I was in Cappy's Judge Cosper's court for like two years as a prosecutor. So she came to me to be the fourth drug court judge. Um, and I didn't really know much about it at all and really didn't know much about substance use disorder, but I respected her so much. I went ahead and started doing it and it ended up being the, the thing I loved most because I saw the transformation. I mean, I just saw these things that just really changed my whole outlook on criminal justice, on the approach that we should take with people who are, you know, hopelessly addicted that they're not you don't give up on them you they are humans and they they deserve a second chance and it just literally changed my life but then i lost the election <laughs> so all the uh all the people in my party were swept out and um i became a defense attorney and that was really a good experience because my partner and i my law partner who's judge brock thomas he was also a drug court judge and so our practice was really devoted to helping people with substance use disorder, alcoholics. Um, we really got to specialize in that area and get people help and get them the right results in court. And then I became, well, and I, I guess I'm just going to keep talking about myself. I'm trying to make it quick. <laughs> but perfect. No, no, it's all, don't rush at I mean, all. This is yeah. great information. Okay, I'm like 58 years old, so I have a, kind of a long history. I mean, I have a long career, but and it's been weird because I always thought I'd be a prosecutor my whole life, and then I've like had all these different jobs, like a millennial, and I never thought I'd be like that. So, um, anyway, um, my husband at the time was running for DA. He decided to run for DA, and um, so he got elected, and I had to quit the practice um, of law because it would have every case would have been conflicted out. I um, went home to be with my two kids, Bren and Sam, which was cool. I've never, never had gotten to do that and enjoyed it. But pretty, pretty quickly after that, my husband was diagnosed and um, it became a, a situation of just trying to help him. My husband passed away um, eight, eight months into his term. And so I was kind of there without a job and my two kids and they were 10 and 12 at the time. And um, I had a lot of people approach me about trying to get the appointment from the governor to Bernie and um, kind of out of desperation without much thought at all, I did it and got appointed to that massive job, which uh, I did for three and a half years. And my primary, I mean, I had a lot of goals there, but my primary goal was to change the approach that the prosecutors took to, to dealing with people with substance use disorder and mental health disorder in the criminal justice system. And, and I think I largely succeeded by requiring education around the topic and making them understand that incarceration doesn't solve anything and that that people need treatment to break the cycle and um, we need to use the specialty courts and we need more specialty courts.
So I'm really proud of the work I did in that area. And then I kind of um, I did a little I wanted to go into nonprofits. I didn't want to go back to the courthouse. I didn't want to be a defense lawyer. Um, and I really wanted to keep working in area because I kind of skipped over the fact that I'm in recovery, even though I was an active alcoholic while I was on the drug court bench, ironically, um, and knew it and knew I was and thinking, wow, this is really inappropriate. I didn't really quit drinking until uh, I was a defense attorney because my partner, was Brock, was sober and it just became a problem in my family life. That's a whole different story. But I'm sober now for 14 years and um, this is a really important subject and area for me. And so the fact that I landed with this organization um, is a godsend because I work with people in recovery every day and I help people to get into recovery, just really aff affirming to my own sobriety uh, also. So I can talk about how I got into Justice Forward next, well, I guess. Um, so it's, do, it's no, a funny. Devin, before you do it, I have to say, first of all, congratulations on 14 years. That is amazing. And that is, thank you. That's a huge accomplishment. That it's impressive. And I knew a little bit about, about some of those struggles, but I didn't know all of that. And I just, first of all, thank you for sharing that. Um, but I almost want to be like, you should have told me all that because I was already really in awe of you. But now, now I'm more, <laughs> it's, it's even worse. So, all right. So I might just oh. be bothering you after this, this call just to keep um, learning more about you. But this well, is, thank you. <laughs> this is amazing information. And I hope, I hope people when they hear this, they hopefully that it really hits home for them because I think a lot of attorneys that we've seen struggle with substance abuse that they don't Ooh. they don't recognize it and they don't want to talk about it and yet they are in a lot of ways supposed to be leading the people that they either represent that they're prosecuting or that they're sitting on the bench and overseeing their cases right um right and yet they're struggling with a lot of the same things that the people in the criminal justice system are struggling with as well and I saw that when I was a prosecutor as well from the very beginning. Um, but what I also saw was how few of those attorneys recognize it and acknowledge it. Um, and we've seen a lot of attorneys committing suicide, um, mm -hmm. a lot of depression, right? And I just, I hope that if anybody's listening and is struggling with any of that, um, I really hope that this story resonates because it's really inspirational that you've been able to get to this side of your journey um, and I, I know that other people can get there too. And so I just, anyway, I'm sorry. I off tangent no, there for well, a second. Just thank you. No, I, I think it's, I didn't really, so I didn't, bec I didn't become sober through AA. So I didn't really start talking about my sobriety until after I was DA. I did a couple of times when I was DA, but you know, when you're in politics, yep. it, it just didn't work. And it would, it would have been a huge distraction, sort of, but then I also kind of have regrets around it. But anyway, I think anybody can get help, but it, it is it is something I did not want to do. I love drinking. <laughs> I mean, I, I did not want I cried the day that I finally decided to quit. And the only way I was able to do it without AA was because my husband quit with me, too. And it was like the us two trying to find a new life, which is what you have to do as a sober person, um, especially in the world of law, because everyone drinks everyone. And it is a whole socially, that's your whole social world, your whole social life. 
everything revolves around it. I mean, we would go drink to celebrate a verdict. We'd go drink to drown our sorrows on a verdict. I mean, I'll tell you, my life is much better now. It is, I can't say that enough. Even though I feel everything much more, I can't numb out. I have to face it, but it, it is just such a beautiful, honest way to live. Um, and, and I'm so much more present for my kids and for the people in my life. And I'm involved with a man who's also sober, which has just been fantastic. And he does work AA, so I get a lot of AA in my life, you know? <laughs> <laughs> So that's good. You know, I really like to go to meetings with him and stuff. But, um, yeah, it's I, it's a very por- important part of me. And the fact that I get to work in it is even better. And things just came to a perfect, uh, I don't know, uh, point in my life where I was contacted by Deborah Kaiser. I mean, this organization has been around. The one that I'm running now, Justice Forward, has been around since 2003. It's really since the drug court started. Um, these guys from Emerson Unitarian Universalist Church started it to do white papers. Like, I don't even barely know what they are, but like advocacy pieces on behalf of specialty courts because or, or on behalf of drug courts, because it was such a outlandish idea to give criminals treatment, you know, instead of locking them up. And um, so it became it was an advocacy organization. But then they realized that there really were a lot of needs that people had going through the the courts that the county couldn't pay for, like transitional housing and transportation and stuff like that. So they became a nonprofit. It was the Harris County Drug Court Foundation. And I was actually on the board when I was a defense attorney and became chairman. It was an all volunteer organization till um, 2019. They got a grant from the Fondren Foundation to hire an executive director. And it just so happened I just left the board said, okay, we can't pay you a lot. And this is just a part-time job, but we want to have, we want to expand. I'm like, yeah. So it, it has been, it is, I got to say, besides being a prosecutor trying cases, this is my favorite job I've ever had. I started as part-time and um, the way it was working is that these, this board would raise money and give it to like the Harris County Probation Department to spend on certain things like transitional housing. Well, I we didn't have a budget. We didn't have any structure around it at all. So I started trying to I rewrote the bylaws and started trying to figure out how to take requests from all these different courts in an orderly way and um we figured out how to do, like, I had an assistant by then. We did electronic forms. They just emailed to me. Um, I designated a representative of each section of courts, like Keith Lyles from the drug courts, um, Drew Gaines from the mental health courts, Michelle Barnett from veterans court. And um, now I have to name everybody, don't I? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's how that works, actually, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. And I'm Kelly Varon from juvenile courts. And now I can't think of this. Well, we our sober court person has changed like three times. So anyway, they are our court alliance council and they meet with us quarterly. They provide updates on their courts for each board meeting that we have. And they're the ones who submit the requests on behalf of the clients. And um, it's really worked out well. It's a very simple system, um, but it works. And so they know they can ask for transitional housing, grief and trauma counseling, 
transportation in the forms of bus passes, sometimes Uber. Uh, we have Harris County rides here, which is really amazing. Um, and we'll pay for that. Or is that the only thing? Those are the things, yeah, that we do mainly um, through with the probation department. Oh, and the incentive gift cards. First of all, thank you for sharing. That's a lot of information about Justice Board, even more than I realized. Um, one of the things I thought was really interesting was this idea about these wraparound services and assisting people while they're in the treatment courts. You brought up the incentive gift cards, and I'd like to talk a little bit more about that because one of the things I've heard from a lot of judges is that they, they don't always have the funds for that. And a lot of the mm -hmm. staff have to pay for that out of their own pocket that right. they voluntarily give that money. Can you share a little bit more about why your program, why your organization um, actually gets those and how important that is and how they're used? Yeah, absolutely. There, that's a really critical component of evidence-based treatment. And it's one of the best practices is the incentives and the sanctions approach to um, dealing with how the clients are reacting to the treatment. And incentive gift cards are like little $10, uh, $5, $15 gift cards. Walmart's a really popular one, but we'll go, we'll do Starbucks or Sonic or um, I'm just trying to think. It's, it's a lot, I think Walmart's the best because you can get just about anything there, but we do HEB sometimes. And they are given as rewards in court for doing something really, really well. Like, oh, you finished your community service or, oh, you hit uh, 90 days in your sobriety. Um, but there's also Mary Covington. And that's the other full circle thing here is that Mary retired from the county and now she's our program director, which has been like getting Jeff Bagwell for your little league team. I mean, it's like having a total freaking rock star on our staff and she's doing so much more than I ever thought anybody could do in this job. But she, uh, after going to the national conference, we decided to do treasure boxes kind of for the courts, uh, especially in Fort Bend County. We have a human trafficking court that we're supporting with girls. And that's a very, very difficult population to work with. And they're little incentives, not just the gift cards, but also like they can, they get, if they do something good, they, they can come up and draw from the treasure chest and it could say, you get a standing ovation today, or you get a hug from the judge. The judge is a super huggy person. Um, <laughs> or, you know, and I mean, Mary said that the judge, the staff and the, the girls are just delighted every time somebody gets to go to this thing. I mean, it just, it's so exciting. And, and you've got to think about the people that we are working with. So many of whom, you know, left school way too early, um, had everything against them in life and never heard any words of encouragement, especially from a, an authority figure like a judge. And for what that means, I mean, what that it, it's priceless and it really, really makes a difference. And so you don't really have to spend money. I mean, if you've ever seen Judge Diane Spute's um, bull. Judge Bullspute, I don't know which way it goes. Um, her her thing on incentives, she's so remarkable about all the ideas that don't cost money to do, just to reward, you know? It just makes a big difference. No, I 
love that you're talking about that. Before I ask you more questions about the work you do, I do want to dive into Mary Covington because you mentioned her earlier um, when she, you know, in your history that she was coordinator, I believe, for one mm-hmm. of the courts. And yes. Now she's one of your superstar um, people on your team, which sounds amazing. But tell me a little bit more about that history and what she kind of does for your organization with you. Yeah. So Mary, I mean, I met her when I was a young prosecutor in um, Judge Cosper's court and we just we kept in touch through the years. But she was, you know, running Judge Cosper's court. But when the judge wanted to start the drug courts, Mary is really the she was the backbone of that court. She kind of switched to being the coordinator of those four courts when they started. And she was the one who was finding transitional housing, who was finding the community partners. I mean, just digging people up to try to get help for the clients who were coming through, who had no safe place to live, who um, needed gas cards or whatever. I mean, Mary made all that happen. And um, she, I mean, she's a big, I know with task, you know, she's on the board and has been for years and been an officer and all that. So she's very well versed in best practices and how courts ought to be run. And then she's approached and, and helps Judge Mark Carter start the first veterans court in Harris County and Judge Mike Fields, the uh, misdemeanor veterans court, and then helps with the felony mental health courts. And so she became uh, she was up in administration in Harris County before she left, kind of overseeing the the court side of the specialty court programs um, and making sure they were you know, they were running smoothly because I guess everybody on who's listening to this podcast knows that the judges are volunteering in most counties. They don't have just designated judges, which I wish we did because we lose them every time there's an election, but I uh, have to start over, which is devastating for clients, by the way. But um, Mary, once she retired, I mean, she was on our board. I should say that too. She was always involved in the Harris County Drug Court Foundation and was actually on the board when they hired me. And she continued to work at Harris County. And then when she was retiring, I'm like, Mary, you need to just come work here. Um, This is what we can pay you. I need somebody to liaison with all these courts because we were expanding by that point to other counties. And let me tell you what she does. She has it on her calendar where she goes to Galveston and Fort Bend County courts because it's a little bit because of their distance. It's a little more difficult to stay in touch with them. But she goes every month she is making sure and this is so critical that they're following best practices i think a lot of people listening to this podcast would agree that judges with the best hearts want to start these courts but are not following best practices now we put it into our mou this year that you have to follow best practices so um mary's been making sure that they are and she's like a huge source for them Um, of ideas and connections throughout the state and resources. I mean, nobody was having graduations in in Fort Bend County. And Mary got Judge Becerra in the Felony Mental Health Court to start graduations. And it is just the coolest thing. They, They love them. I mean, that's a great county. They're all very passionate about what they're doing, but they didn't really think about making graduation a ceremony, you know, like we do in Harris County. So that was cool. That was one huge thing she did. I can go on and on about her. <laughs> no, I, I think it's great. The reason I asked, you know, obviously I've gotten a chance to get to know Mary a little bit um, because she's on the board of the Texas Association of Specialty Courts. And 
I know that when she left her role and then joined your organization, I was so excited because I, at that point, I knew a little bit about Justice Floyd and I just was like, oh my goodness, you're, you're going to join this amazing organization. I hope that means I get to hear more and more about it. So I was always curious, like, first, because I knew that you were such a big role in the organization. I was always curious, like, how she would come in and fit into the organization. And that's what I really wanted to ask real quick was just your organization. It it sounds like it's a pretty small one, right? Like you don't have a whole bunch of staff. Can you share a little bit about like who's there to help run everything that you're doing, all these amazing things that you guys are doing? Well, I mean, the only we only have 2.5 employees full time. That's <laughs> so, what I thought. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's me and Mary, and um, we have this amazing assistant who really should be like our, I guess, office manager. I mean, she can do anything. Leah Dozier, and she works 30 hours a week. She's actually up to 30. Um, but it's our board. I mean, I they they help so much with fundraising and volunteer. We we don't have volunteer opportunities per se. So. It's really just the fundraisers that we need help with. But we manage these. We now have a portal on our website, so we manage these requests a lot better. And now that Mary is uh, handling the requests and Leah does all helps with all the payments of the vendors that we use, then I'm free to fundraise and network and try to get as many speaking opportunities as I can so people learn about specialty courts and they learn about Justice Forward. I love that. So let's go back to you joining the organization. Did you have any specific vision or goals that you were like, you know what, I'm going to change something. I'm going to do something different. You know, what we've done so far has been great, but just we need to do something a little bit different. Do you remember that? Because I know it's been a little bit since you've joined, but yeah, yeah. Do you remember no, those days? I do. I mean, I, I was really swamped with trying to build the structure uh, around the organization and get the request um, protocol in place. But I knew that we didn't want to pay the probation office anymore, that we needed to pay vendors directly on behalf of clients because that kept us from being a, a pass-through organization, which we did not want to be. Um, we needed funding from private foundations and they will not fund pass through organizations where you're just taking their money and passing it on to another nonprofit. I mean, that makes no sense. We were, we are paying, I mean, I mean, on to the clients is what I meant, or they weren't going to give us money to give to the Harris County probation department. Right. So I started going out into the community because I knew we needed to find resources, especially sober housing which is so hard to find safe, sober housing that the probation department will work on, will work with um, because they have the liability for the clients. So it was really becoming more of a member of the community, um, which is, I believe we have now achieved that. And then helping more people, different people, but with the same issues. So juveniles are a lot different than adults. People with mental health issues are a lot different than people with just substance use issues. I mean, we had to take all that into consideration when finding these resources. And so now we have housing partners that are really great that for that can accommodate different ages and different issues. We have transportation that, like I mentioned, that Harris County rides where you can schedule a ride for someone. 
and they have rec they have like live tracking where you can see if they've actually gone where they're supposed to go and you can request the same driver which is really important for kids uh who've been trafficked going to trauma counseling or uh people with mental illness trying to get to their counseling appointments you know so uh just things like that um but it's also just uh trying to get well known in the community and I have not achieved that goal yet and getting the word out about specialty courts, which I'm trying to do. Nobody knows what they are, including lawyers. Yeah. Nobody has heard of them. It's so frustrating. It's, it really is. And it's always surprising when I do come across attorneys who are in the criminal justice system, yes. who are not familiar with specialty courts. And I don't, I, I'm not always, sure I understand how that happens. Um, I, I have an idea of why it happens, uh, but it, it is kind of interesting. And that's one of the things that I really liked about Justice Forward is because you do a lot of community education mm -hmm. and not just, you know, general community, but just the legal community education because it's so needed. Um, and that's one of the things I notice in a lot of different counties that I've uh, been to and worked with, especially courts, is that a lot of people that that community education falls on the judge right and the judges are already working their full-time docket they have to deal with that election right every few years right. they're usually volunteering their time for especially court in addition to what they're doing and then they have a lot there's a lot going on with the whole team right and the team sometimes the treatment team can often change because staff changes depending on who is the makeup of their treatment team right Right. And so there's just a lot of variables, a lot of moving parts and a lot of things that they're trying to accomplish. And first and foremost is making sure that their program works for the clients that are coming into the program. Right. And mm -hmm. so it's not always um, as important. The importance of educating the community is just it's just even the legal community is just not always as high a priority as, as so many other things. And so I love that that was a role that Justice Ford takes on and, yeah. and you do I love that your website has information about it that you you know even when you're fundraising you're doing kind of doing that as well and one of the things I really liked about your answer earlier is that you said that you were swamped with figuring out the structure I think that's so important right because so many people come into a new role and they're so focused on their vision and getting there so yeah. you, know, you can say, hey, look at what we've accomplished. But a lot of times what's missing and what's a huge issue is getting that structure organized, right? You know, implementing new procedures and creating and developing new procedures that actually work and are more efficient. So I love that you talked about that because that I know you touched just very briefly, but that was like the first thing you said. And I just yeah. appreciated that because <laughs> it was just me. I mean, it's yeah. only me and 18 courts. It's like, that's just got to I got to figure out how to make this where I can handle it myself because it was just me. Yeah. And it worked. It, it did work. So and so, it still does. That's why we could go to other counties. It's just pretty, pretty simple structure. So I'm glad you just mentioned the 18 courts or the 18 programs, right? Mm -hmm. Because I was going to ask you, First, is it still 18 programs or is it more now? No, we took two on in Galveston and then four on in Fort Bend County. But okay. but Harris County's gone down.
How many programs do you have total now? Is it two? Now I'm trying to do math. Yeah, it's 23. 23. 23 programs. Okay. Mm -hmm. 23 programs that your organization Mm -hmm. is supporting. Mm -hmm. And there's 2.5 staff members. Yes. (laughs) Apparently a very amazing board um, Mm -hmm. that assists with helping. um, And you guys are, I mean, you just keep growing, right? We do. That And I'm going to ask you more questions about that in the future, um, but I do want to talk a little bit more about your relationship with the courts because you and Mary both came from that environment and you were able to see it from several different roles, you know, as a prosecutor, as a defense mm-hmm. attorney, um, as a judge, and you're able to now come into this role. Did you learn anything different while you were in this role that like did something was there like a light bulb or anything that different because you'd already told me about your journey and it seemed like you learned a lot about the people who go through the criminal justice system that are in need of of treatment but did anything new come to you when you got in this role that you wish that you had known um back when you had the roles before that you had Hmm, that's a good question. I, I had to think about that for a second. Put you on the spot. <laughs> I guess the biggest realization that I never thought about when I, especially when I was a drug court judge, was what happens to them when their probation's over. Love that answer so yeah. much. <laughs> yeah, I, <that's> good. <laughs> I love that answer so much. Um, and I was going to wait till later to ask you about that, <laughs> uh, but. You know, I, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait to okay. dive into that only because I'm going to wrap this this part of my questioning up then, which is can you just briefly um, share a little bit about just what your role is like with the courts specifically with Justice Forward? Like, do you guys um, have a relationship with the courts at all? Do you do you have to build relationships for your organization yeah. to continue to grow? What's that look like? We, we do. And, you know, um because I had been gone from the courthouse, the first thing I did with our board chair was go visit all the dockets and kind of tell or talk to the judges and tell them we're going to expand. We want to help you. This is how we help. And we sit in all your dockets. It was a little touchy with juvenile, but they let us in. And man, you learn so much listening to dockets, listening to what people need when you just listen to the clients talking to the judges. And so we visited all all of those courts and we decided, and this was one thing that I started, was that we needed to have a voice at graduations because we had no, we have no real direct contact with the clients except after they've graduated. And we can talk about that later, what we do for people after they leave. But um, while they're in the program, really very, we, the probation officer is the representative for the client, right? And the court alliance council member is who we have contact with and sometimes directly with the probation officer, but not the clients. So what we want, I wanted to be able to talk to the clients directly and graduation was seemed to be the best time to say, hey, great job. You know, you, you're this far. You still have a ways to go and we're not going to stop helping you. And so here's our name. Here's our I, we have refrigerator magnets. It's so stupid that we give out, <laughs> but it's got our website and our phone number on it so they can keep it and know that they can come to us anytime for help. So the judges have been really gracious in letting me have five minutes at every graduation. So we, Mary and I, attend every single graduation in every county 
Um, if one of us is out of town, the other one covers. But I tried. I go to all of them, and Mary covers me when I can't. Um, we've even had Leah speak at one when we were all out of town. So everybody covers it. Make sure that the graduates are talk, spoken to. And then again, Mary has a really close relationship with boots on the ground people in the courts. I mean, because she she attends staffings and dockets every week in different counties. So she is there and they know she is there to help them. So we have a good relationship with the courts. I want to jump into the organization's relationship with the community generally uh, before we head into the people, right? Um, mm -hmm. Which is I'm dying to get to. <laughs> so uh, what's the relationship like between the organization and I was going to say the Harris County community, but now you're also in uh, Galveston. Yeah. And so what what is that like? Like, do you have to do a lot of I know you do some community education, but what do you do with that relationship? Like, what's that look like? Well, it's different in each county. In Harris County, um, we have really raised our profile in the recovery community by helping start the Party Sober Partnership which is a nonprofit that puts on sober events for people in recovery. Um, that's one of the things that I wanted to do um, for people who are leaving probation. So they have a community they can join if they don't have one already. Um, so we have all these nonprofits that work with the same clients that we work with, and we all got, get together to put on these massive events. So it looks like that, and it looks like, um, me, me and Mary always looking for new resources in Harris County. In fact, she's visiting two sober living places this week to see if they might be suitable for our clients because we always are looking for the best housing that we can get that we can afford, you know. Um, in Galveston County, when we expanded down there, I realized that um, none of us are from Galveston and it's a very closed place, you know, BOI, born on the island and all that. So I um, rewrote the bylaws to add an advisory board that would be a local board made up of people who live there who would help us spread the word about specialty courts and help us fundraise. And so we have this stout board down there with a commissioner, the judges, both judges, Judge Malier and Judge Ellisor are on it, the drug court and mental health court guys. Um, we have lawyers, we have bankers, we have a great board down there. And um, that has opened a bunch of doors to new community partners down there. But we got to Galveston, they have almost no housing on the island. Um, so we had to go to Dickinson and places like that. So we've been amassing housing partners there, counseling partners. I mean, it takes a while to build that. Probation officers don't have time to find that, you know? Right. Um, they, their clients just, I guess, before do without, or I don't know, they, they have a few people, but beds are full or whatever. So we help them with that. And then in Fort Bend County, we're assembling an advisory board there now, which has been a little more difficult for some reason. But um, I joined their, uh, George Foundation has a leadership program that I joined because it's like 50 nonprofit leaders from Fort Bend County who are in it. So that's been a huge way to network. So it just and we're also amassing resources down there, which they have less than Galveston, if you can believe that, um, I think. I'm, I'm not too. I mean, I guess I am a little surprised that Fort Bend has less resources, but I'm also not too surprised because, um, you know, 
they they kind of have this history or reputation of being very tough on crime. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I've seen communities that have that reputation, and this is just for my personal experience, um, when I've seen communities that have that reputation, I've also noticed that the communities tend to have a lot less um, organizations that can help or resources available for people in need. Um, and so what you see is usually a, a higher you know, conviction rate higher, you're going to go to jail, you're going to go through this process, and they're going to keep coming back because those resources aren't there, right? And so it's just right. kind of this cycle um, mm-hmm. that keeps happening. So I'm really excited that Justice Ford is actually in that community. I think it's uh, probably desperately needed there. And I'm yeah. sure that the work you guys are doing is is really making a difference in people's lives there. Well, it's really cool because Galveston is really on fire about recovery and about dealing with their homeless population. And I mean, it is amazing how many people are working on the problem there. But in Fort Bend County, you have Brian Middleton, the D.A., who's super uh, into this. I mean, very supportive of specialty courts, as is his first assistant. The judges are really on board there and are willing to go the extra mile to help. Uh, justice forward and all that. Yeah. I mean, I, it really does. It comes from the top. And if you have a leader like Brian in, in power there, it makes all the difference in the world. So they even have like, they have prosecutors who are assigned to each court. They have a woman who oversees all of the prosecutors who are assigned to the specialty courts. I mean, they really have a big piece of it in the DA's office there. So that's awesome is that to a, work with. Is that a fairly recent change? Yeah. I mean, with him, with him. I don't know how Healy, John Healy, how uh, supportive he was of specialty courts, but it seems like Brian's taking it to the next level. I love, I love hearing that. For sure. Yeah. I, that is really good to hear. Um, and you brought up multiple times uh, in the last last things that we've been talking about, you brought up housing a lot, which mm-hmm. housing is just, it's such an issue, right, for so many people in our community. Um, and it's also an issue for a lot of people across the nation, you know, it's it's something that nobody's been able to resolve this housing crisis for people in need, and yet, you guys are spending a lot of time, I'm, I'm sure, finding those resources and making sure that housing is available. I'm assuming one that it's because you've identified that's a really big need for people, um, but two, I'm just curious, what that looks like like what those conversations are like for you your team and the and the community um organizations that you're working with about the housing can you share a little bit more about it yeah i mean what we we provide two to three months of transitional housing and it's usually for people coming out of treatment or coming out of jail and they have nowhere safe to go they either are unhoused or they um are living in a place where they used and they can't go back to it so um, we it is very important for us to find places that are rigidly sober. I mean, there's some great housing in Houston that doesn't have any any restriction on alcohol or drugs. And we have to have 100 percent sober living and it needs to be very structured. Um, we have differing levels of structure type of housing that we use, but there has to be some structure and accountability. And the probation department has to be able to get information about how their client is doing immediately, especially if they walk out because these places aren't locked down, you know, or uh, or break the rules and get kicked out or whatever. So that's been a challenge. But we've we've found places um, 
And I'll give a shout out. I don't know if it's appropriate or not, but I don't care. It's um, the recenter in Midtown was our biggest find. Um, and they they have different levels of transitional housing, but they've been our biggest partner. And we have probably 10 or 12 people in there at any given time. And then the other one that is really funny is called Sharpen Recovery. And it's a young man, Nick Long, who rents houses and then changes them into sober living where, you know, two twin beds in a bedroom and they're beautifully decorated by a nonprofit that does that. They decorate homes um, for other nonprofits. And he the, it's a faith based housing, but it's not it's optional. So probation can use it. You know, it's not forced. But he has like nine homes in here in Houston. Now, when we went to Galveston, I joked around with him and said, you need to open one. And he did. And then when we moved to Fort Bend County, I'm like, can you open some here? Because there's nothing here. And he's opened one there and he's going to keep buying and keep renting because it's a rental. It's a great model. Um, and he does a great job as far as, you know, having everybody shares in the chores and um, they have meetings there of all kinds and you can join or not join. And it's just that's the, those are the kind of conversations we have. So like when Mary goes and visits those two places this week, she's going to be looking at how. um how rigid they are about sobriety and what other resources they have available because every place that we use has meetings on site. You know, I think that's important. Um, whether it's NA or yeah, or AA or whatever. And, um, she'll, she'll be looking at all of that and especially price too, because we do get discounts because we send so many people there. So we'll be looking at price as well. That's because we have to raise every dollar. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So, you brought up probation a lot, your relationship working mm-hmm. with probation. I did not realize that Justice Forward worked with the probation department so much. Can oh, yeah. You, can you share a little bit more about what that looks like, the application of that is? Yeah, because we can't. Yeah. No, I get you. We, we really can't do this without them because they're the ones who have liability for the client. And especially with what we're providing, which is the housing, especially, but also the grief and trauma counseling, we go out and find these vendors, these providers, but they have to be vetted by the probation department and um, accepted because they bear the the responsibility if something happens to the client, God forbid, at a housing place or something. So we fortunately have a really good relationship with Dr. Teresa May, the Harris County um, probation head uh, and Fort Bend County. We're working with them. Galveston, we, um, they're very, I mean, they're all, they're, this is like manna from heaven for them. You know what I mean? It's like all of a sudden they have access to resources they never had before. So they're kind of welcoming us with open arms. It hasn't been contentious at all. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's just a matter of that we can do the legwork that their probation officers can't and, but we will not use anybody that's not approved by them. And especially in the area of counseling, that's very critical because there's a lot of bad trauma counseling out there in the world. Yeah, you have to be really careful. So, I mean, with our juvenile department here, ju- juvenile courts, they pick the therapist. We do. We don't have. No, we don't do that. No, they pick I, them and we pay them. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because that has been something that I've seen as an issue across the state, which is unfortunately, you know, counties have to rely on what resources are available. Right. And what yeah. they know, what they know are available. Um, and so what I've seen is, unfortunately, and, and we've probably all heard the stories at some point is relying on an organization that 
ultimately we find out is not a good organization and could have done more harm than good for the person who was sent there Mm -hmm. to get that treatment. So um, it's, it is hard. And I love that you guys are actually vetting for them Mm -hmm. um, and helping them filter to make sure that they're finding quality um, organizations that offer quality programs for people. Yeah, that's what we try to do. Yes, absolutely. That's an amazing, I think, amazing thing that you guys are doing to partner with the probation office to do that. So let's get to the people. (laughs) I'm really excited to get to this. Okay. So, and of course, now we've talked so much. I'm like, wait, what was it that we were talking about earlier that I was so excited about? But um, Um, what what happens to him after? Yes. Yes. Okay. So we're going to get, we're going to get to that point because I want to know what that relationship is like with participants. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, you've kind of touched on it already. So you guys don't actually work directly with clients generally, right? You're, you're right. like the support for the court, support for the probation. You're like almost part of the team. You're, you're there at graduation, mm-hmm. uh, but all the way up until graduation, you're not necessarily talking to any participants directly then. Is that that's, that's true. Yes. Unless okay. they come to our party sober events and they introduce themselves or something. Perfect. And are yeah. they in, are they invited to join your party sober events? Oh, yes. We make sure that all the courts know about them. The, the biggest goal of those events for me is that they're free. I want anybody to be able to come. So. We have one that we have to charge for, which is an all day music festival, but it's still like 20 bucks and we'll underwrite clients if they can't afford it. But um, everything else is free. Um, so we make sure that all the active clients are invited. And I mention it every time I'm in graduations too, what events are coming up. So they'll, they'll attend. I love that. Yeah. Can you, can you tell me a little bit more than what happens at, you know, you, you meet them maybe at graduation now. Well, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you one that just happened is we just got um, invited to be the lead organization for a Houston Texans game. They were going to do a day of recovery, which is incredible that they got the permission of the NFL to dedicate the Texans Titans game on New Year's Eve to recovery. Wow. So, um, yeah, we sold like 800 tickets at a reduced price and they set sections ahead. I mean, aside from us, for us, I can't talk. So I went to the ta- and then we decided to have a sober tailgate because who does that, right? When is the, what is that? So um, I went to the sober tailgate. I showed up and um, this woman came up to me and said, hey, y'all, I don't know how she knew. I didn't have any justice forward thing on, but she said, hey, I, y'all are putting me through college. And um, it was the most awesome thing. She, she's a drug court uh, client who um, is going to, she's studying mechanical engineering at UTSA and um, she's almost finished. That's why she's there able to do that. But um, it was, that kind of thing happens when they realize who I am or who, if we have a justice forward t-shirt on or something, they'll come up and say, Hey, and, and they'll come and talk to me after graduation as well. I do get direct client contact with that because I tell them how we help. And they'll come. I usually have two or three people come up to me after graduation and talk about, hey, I want to go back to school or we do pay for that, by the way. Or I want to uh, be a recovery coach. So we'll pay the fees, you know, to do that, to study, to learn how to be a peer recovery coach. 
um, the stuff like that. So, but the best thing is my great, my drug court graduates, when I was a judge, um, I see all the time because they're all working in recovery and wow. they're working for the organizations who are partners with us in party sober partnership. So it just like that, it's amazing. I mean, I'm sitting in the council on recovery right now. That's where I office and, um, they're, there's a graduate who works here that was on my drug court docket. I mean, it just, it's like, it's amazing. It's so gratifying. Um, it, it's just, that is, it's that this is person. Yeah. Because you're talking about people who went through your court program a years, long time ago. Yeah. Years <laughs> and years ago. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so they're still in this recovery community right. and they're still helping other people, but more importantly, they made it to that position. Yes. Right? Like they, they got to that side and I'm assuming that they're able to use their story and their experiences to help other people. Um, so I absolutely they are. I love hearing that. Um, and that kind of goes into these sober events. So I've seen a little bit about these sober events, but are you seeing people from your, those same people from like your graduations? Um, are they coming to your sober events as well? Are they kind of involved? Yes. Yeah, they are. They are involved. Um, yeah, we're doing four big ones a year. We do a sober chili cook-off during the rodeo cook-off because you can't go to the rodeo cook-off if you're sober um, at all. I couldn't go when I was drinking. I'm like, these people are out of control. <laughs> like, they're, out, they're out of my league. Um, so we do that uh, on February 24th. And then we're doing our, our music festival uh, at White Oak Bayou. This is all in Houston. Um on May 18th. And then we do the big Texas Rally for Recovery, which they have all over the state. We do ours at the Houston Botanic Garden. Uh, and I think this year it's September 28th. And then we'll do a Texans game. So courts have chili cook-off teams, by the way. Wow. Wow. Where to God, drug court wins every year. It is it's <laughs> really funny. This will be our third year we're doing it. And it's just so fun. And we have cash prizes and celebrity judges and it's just, yeah, it's, and we have a DJ. It's a lot of fun and it's free. You can come. Anybody can come. Partysober.org. That's the website. I love that. Mm -hmm. How do you get the support, the financial support to have these free programs, these free events? This is what's kind of happened. We started with this, the Sober Chili Cook-Off and we wanted cash. We wanted sponsors for the cash prizes. And we realized the treatment people, you know, the for-profit treatment centers, they will sponsor things. Oh. And so they have been basically underwriting our events. Wow. Yes. And it really, really works. They like at the rally, they get to have a table advertising their, you know, they pay X amount of dollars and they get to have a table to show all their recovery services. So it's really nice. Um, and then HEB, huge supporter of ours. Wow. Any, anytime we need a gift card to buy you know, like chili or not, not chili, but like plates <laughs> and napkins and drinks and all that, we get a gift card from them. They've been amazing. So those are really, it's really the, the for-profit treatment centers that have become amazing. And they help us with all kinds of things like social media and marketing and that kind of thing as well. I love hearing that because I think it's so important that the community comes together, right? Um, mm -hmm. And things like this. And I think it's, it's great to not 
be exclusive is which part of the community is coming together, right? The more people from different backgrounds, different skill sets, different, you know, different visions and missions even, you know, are all coming together with this common purpose. Mm -hmm. um, and I just, I think that it's great. I, I love hearing that. I want to talk a little bit about fundraising. I know, I know I've kept you for a little bit here, but um, I want to ask you a little bit about fundraising because it's not always a fun thing to do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, can you share a little bit about uh, just any unique ways you've been able to fundraise? You actually already talked a little bit about this, but um, anything that you could just share about your fundraising experience with Justice Forward? Well, we're we're lucky in that not anybody else that I know of is doing what we do. So um, we we get the attention of foundations because of that. And um, we, we write a lot of grants every year to foundations. And um, we the ones we have separate ones for Galveston and separate ones for, you know, that just fund in Fort Bend County. So that's been successful. Um, our events are we we do this tournament, this clay shoot, you know, like sporting clay sh tournament. We just started that in the spring and then we always have a fall um, event. It is harder. Once people come to our events, they're like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Um, we're just trying to expand past the courthouse, you know, um, this has always been kind of a courthouse organization made up of lawyers from the courthouse and judges. And so our board has really expanded to be from all ages, all ethnicities, all parts of Harris County. So it's made a big difference in who we get to our events uh, to get to get more interest across the whole city. But yeah, fundraising's hard. I mean, there's 27,000 nonprofits in Houston. I did not know that. <laughs> That's yeah, a lot. It's shocking, isn't it? It's yeah. shocking. And there's like, I can't remember how many in Fort Bend County. There's a ton everywhere. And so you're competing. Um, so it's nice to be unique in that way. But it's a it's a hard slog, I'll tell you, every year to make the budget. I believe that. Mm -hmm. I think you're doing amazing work. And I hope I hope people understand the value of that and understand just what it is that you're doing, um, the whole organization is doing to make a difference in people's lives because treatment programs, like they go through the court program and then they're done, right? Um, but assuming they even make it through the program, right? right. A, lot of, a lot of people have a hard time being successful in a program like that. And it's not because of a lack of desire to get better or to, you know, to be sober. It's all of the challenges that they faced the day before they were arrested and put into the system are still challenges that they're going to face during right. that program right during and after and we that's why we try to help yeah mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. and so the things that justice forward is is doing um is kind of giving them a sense of community and targeting this the pretty big obstacles that even the probation department just frankly don't have the budget either to have some right specifically doing this right they're doing a lot of case management um and supervising people and stuff like that but a lot of probation departments that i know of don't have somebody who is uniquely skilled and um not restricted by government restrictions 
uh, to go out and do a lot of the things that you guys are doing for them to help make their job much more efficient, I think, in providing those quality programs for them. Yeah, I wish we could go to every county. I, I really do. I think it's needed in every county. I mean, I know Dallas has some foundations that were founded just to support a specific court, like they have a veterans court foundation. Um, I think San Antonio has one for a specific court, but nobody that I know of besides us has taken on all the courts in a jurisdiction. And it just makes the biggest difference, I think. I mean, the things that we provide are, are really game changers and that's why they're best practices, transitional housing and counseling. And um, we also do criminal history cleanup, which I, that was the, I think the only one I haven't talked about. Um, where we have the, mentioned that actually, because uh, when I heard that you guys were doing that, very happy. <laughs> I was yeah. very happy to hear that. So, it's you know, huge. it's funny that you say that you wish that you could be in all the counties because I actually wish Justice Board was statewide. Mm -hmm. I wish that there was a Justice Board in every county as well. Um, and I just I I can see that in the future. Um, I see a lot of potential, but. I'm not the person who uh, makes plans for Justice Ford. So that's my last, <laughs> my really my last question to you, which is just what does the future look like oh. for your organization? Do you have any future goals or anything that you can share with us? Well, you know, we, uh, the way I'm looking at it is we, we need, we are, we're hitting pause this year to figure out what the future does look like. And there's a couple of different ways we can go. One, we can keep taking on county by county. But it, you know, we have to fundraise every county we go to. So we have to, we have to pick counties that have foundations that support them. We, so we can keep doing that, but we'd also have to increase our employees. You know, it's going to get to be too much at some point. And then the other option possibly is to consult, to kind of teach and sell the model. And there are, there are organizations that do that. Uh, in Austin, they have Sands Bar which is a sober bar. And that guy teaches his model, I know, online. Um, and that's how he generates income for his Austin bar. There's Community First, which is that community of tiny houses in Austin. They teach that model. We love that model. We would love to get it here. So that may be the way we do it. I don't know. We want to share the love. <laughs> you know, we really do. I believe in this. I believe it's really needed. I know it's needed. I mean, we helped 356 people last year, I think. We could help a lot more. I mean, we we could there's a lot of people who need this support and help. And it and it just has such great returns. I mean, when you talk about me seeing somebody from my drug court who has 15 years sober, who's working um with maybe women and children at Santa Maria. I have a couple of graduates who work there. Um think how many hundreds or maybe thousands of people they've affected in that 15 years, yep. not to mention their own families and, and their own kids and all that. I mean, it's just mind blowing. I, I want to keep you on here a lot longer, <laughs> um, <laughs> but don't hate me because I forgot to tell you in advance, um, which I usually tell people in advance this, and I did not do this for you. So I'm going to apologize. But I like to wrap up my episodes with something a little fun. I like to ask for three recommendations. It's just recommendations that are like benefits for our listeners or any other people that are, you know, usually operating or thinking about creating a specialty court. But in this case, even thinking about maybe starting a justice board of their own in their community. Mm -hmm. I'd like to ask for a useful tip. And that's usually going to be something like, what did you wish you knew beforehand, you know, or, um, 
any staffing considerations or best practices, any inspirational quote even, okay? Um, and while you're thinking about that, somehow I want you to also listen as I <laughs> tell you the other things in advance, but I'm going to ask you for a good resource, like training, assessment tools. Um, but in this case, you know, anything like getting a nonprofit off the ground and, you know, the things that um, were really helpful for you that you think would be helpful for somebody else. Um, like I said, wanting to maybe start their own justice forward or support their specialty courts locally. And what's um, an important event that you would recommend? You listed some events that your sober events, which I love. Are there any other events that you can think of that would be helpful for people to attend either for networking or for learning more about um, the kind of work that you do? Uh, so I'm going to go back. Okay, so that's a lot. Yep. <laughs> I'm going to go back and um, put you on the spot now and say, you know, what kind of useful tip could you offer our listeners? If you're looking at starting something like this, I think the first thing to do, even though I said we're the only people who are doing this, is to look to make sure there's nobody who's doing something similar in your community. Because when I say we have 27,000 nonprofits here, there are a lot of people duplicating the same services. And I mean, a lot in this arena, I guess what I would, I would recommend is taking stock of what you have in your county, what resources you have to marshal and how you could fundraise before you even start. No, I love that tip. Um, I think that's a great, great tip. Um, a lot of people that are listening, um, if they're in the criminal justice system may not be quite as aware of the nonprofit world. And right. you're absolutely right. Um, people duplicate the work all the time. <laughs> and um, I wish people would stop doing that um, and rather collaborate instead and, yes. you know, expand what they can do rather than reinventing a will that already exists. So I think that's a great, oh, that's, that's a, that's a really good tip. Good resource. And what was the last one? Because I want to make sure I'm not mixing these up. Uh, no, it's okay. it, <laughs> the last one was like an, an event. Oh, yeah. So okay. And a, and a resource, even a podcast, anything that you listen to to help you, like your thought process of how you build your vision, stuff like that, anything. Well, I'll tell you what. I And I, this isn't that accessible, but they do have classes. So I didn't know Jack about nonprofits. And um a friend of mine recommended this leadership program at Rice University um, called the LINE program, um, leadership in nonprofit executives or something like that. I never get acronyms very well. <laughs> um, and it's a it's you, a program you have to apply to. And it's like 20 people in a cohort and they do have scholarships, but you learn like top to bottom how a nonprofit works and what's needed and that kind of thing. It's like a whole overall education um, that, that gave me the basis for what I needed to learn all the, the ins and outs, but like the, the Fort Bend County Chamber of Commerce leadership program that's with the George Foundation I'm in right now does the same thing. There, there are these, the United Ways probably in towns have these like nonprofit introduction to running a nonprofit, or you can go online and find something, but you've got, it's a totally different world and you've got to learn all the requirements and laws around it, um, bylaws and board of directors and board insurance. I mean, there's a million little things that you have to know. So I would find some kind of 
um, training program or overall um, something online you can watch first. That is perfect. And I completely agree with you. And there are a lot of things online. I love that you were able to list specific ones, Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. but there are definitely some available for people who are really interested in that. And I, I can't agree with you more. I think people sometimes are just so excited to get started sometimes that they don't take the time to do that research first and understand that again, nonprofits are very different than just starting a business in general. Um, Right. I think that that's important to do. And it's so I'm so grateful that there is this information available for oh, people yeah. to have. So it's like just get out there and, and, and get the information. Don't don't take it for granted. Um, so the last thing, uh, any event that you think um, that you would recommend for other people to attend and, and why might you recommend that? Well, for this audience, I mean, what I say to people in the community is to go to a graduation. Um, a specialty court graduation. But for this audience, I mean, you got to go to the ta- you got to go to the task conference, right? I mean, I'm not <laughs> trying to give you all a plug, but you do. I mean, I go every year and I, I always we always take away ideas from there. Um, even even if I'm not practicing law right now, I still take away a ton from y'all's conference. That's really what I I mean, I don't know what else to recommend to people who are already working in the courts. I mean, and also but you can come to our events, Houstonian people who are listening to this. You can come to the party sober events. They're so fun. And a lot of them do. A lot of, we get a lot of probation. We have probation teams at the Chili Cook-Off, okay? So, I'm gonna everybody. Say, even if you're not from Houston, if you do, oh, yeah. if the event's on a weekend and you want a weekend trip and have a purpose for why to go to Houston, I feel like you listed um, four events that are four good reasons to take yes. to Houston. In my That's opinion. true. Partysober.org. Yeah, that's it. Perfect. Uh-huh. And, and then, um, believe it or not, that's actually my last question. You have been amazing, Devin. Thank <laughs> um, you. I apologize for the internet issues, but um, you have just you've provided so much information, and uh, this is this is exactly what I'm envisioning sharing with people. And I I hope people are able to look at all this and listen to it and start envisioning how much better their specialty court programs can be if there were a nonprofit, just like Justice Word, they're supporting and providing help for the participants um, to overcome the challenges that are really preventing a lot of times people to be as successful as they could be. This is amazing information. I thank you for taking time from your very busy day um, to just come and talk with me and let me drill you with all these questions. Just thank you. Oh, thank you. I'm always, again, happy to talk about Justice Forward. And I would like to thank, I mean, if if y'all are working in a court, you are doing God's work on this. I mean, if you're working in one of the specialty courts, you are doing such important work and you are making a difference with each person you help. So thank you very much for all the work that that you do. And thank you for doing this this podcast. It's great. And having me. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to our third episode of the podcast. As a reminder, see our show notes to contact us and find links to information discussed today. You can also find a link to register for our annual training conference on March 26th through 28th. Some food for thought until we meet again for another episode. Take a look around your community. Is there an existing nonprofit organization that could enhance your specialty court program and fill a role similar to Justice Forward? 
I'll be dropping another episode this month, so stay tuned and be sure to like and subscribe to our show so you'll be notified when new episodes are available.